I'm Steve Ed, uh, VP of Sales at Epster, and welcome to another episode of Sales Leadership All Access, our weekly broadcast dedicated to helping sales leadership lead. Each week, we bring four guests in front of a live audience to discuss the biggest topics facing us right now. This week, we're looking at a topic of a great importance, well-being, and I guess well-being in the context of, of sales. It's a big topic, we won't cover everything, but some of the questions that sort of spring to mind are, uh, particularly when it's something so personal, can we define it, measure it, uh, monitor it, and, and think about that in the context of a, a remote workforce? What sort of safeguards can we put in place for ourselves and our teams? How do we approach and manage difficult conversations? And what, and I guess our companies or what are the um, makeup of companies that are doing it well um, and, and could we be doing and what could we be doing to help? My hope is that I can share some personal experiences that might resonate with you all and so will our guests. So first of all, I'd like to introduce um, our great lineup today. So we have Tamara McMillan. Uh, Tamara is a friend of the series. She has a vast amount of experience running teams in large tech and telco businesses. She's a board advisor at uh, the CSO and bringing her uh, into contact with revenue leaders across EMEA. And just this month, she's joined the portfolio growth team at HG. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have Alexandra. She's the co-founder of Sales Impact Academy a community and live learning platform for sales and marketing teams. They're supporting startup and scaling businesses on their growth journey. And this summer, Alexandra moved into the role of head of people and culture. Welcome, Alexandra. We have Simon. Simon's the founder of, uh, Simon Scott Nelson. Simon's the founder of Wellity and uh, is also the group leader for mental health and well-being at the Institute of Sales Management. Wellity itself provides a trusted platform of experts and advice and well-being partners to support self-improvement, recovery and overall well-being. Simon's aim is to help normalize the conversation around mental health and well-being. And then we have uh, finally Lauren Catini. Uh, Lauren is a leadership coach but has walked the walk of a successful salesperson in the early stages of her career so can easily relate. Um, her focus is on the mindset of leaders and how can individuals go through emotional change in their mindset to support achieving their goals. Welcome everybody. Thank you. So, <laughs> Um, where should we start? Let's start, um, and I think I'll uh, start with yourself, Simon. Um, so sort of when we're thinking about well-being, and, and I guess well-being in the context of sales, um, how can we define it and, and, and measure that? What is well-being? We'll start yeah. with a nice, simple question. Yeah. Look, well-being, as I've spoken to so many people, is very different and it's very personal. For me, it's the direction you're traveling in. So it's either going down or, or, or coming up and, and recovery. And it's just having one eye on which direction you're actually traveling in. The thing with sales is sales has one direction really, which is that it's got to keep going up. And um, the difference with sales, I think to any other industry is that uh, while sales has to keep going on that trajectory as a human, we do this and we have emotion going up and down. And the bit that we've noticed certainly over the last, well, I think it's been prevalent but it's getting more recognition now is that when the human goes down here, the game face is so different in sales because you have to come out and you have to perform each day. So even when you're feeling down here and you're down and you dump some life throwing all this stuff at you, you have to drag yourself up each day. And it's that bit that we have to look after in sales. It's that bit that 
with the direction you travel in, it can result in burnout, it can result in anxiety. We all know it with uh, trying to do too much um, to meet those targets, whether they be realistic or not. So for me, well-being is sales. It's the bit between the trajectory that you're trying to do to keep your uh, to keep the industry going, to keep your figures up, but just recognizing the fact that you're not always on that level, you're down here, and it's that bit in between, the dragging yourself up, um, getting away from the booze, banter, and burnout culture that we always used to have in sales, um, to a more uh, relaxed culture that allows everyone to be the best version of themselves. Right. Uh, maybe over to you, Alexandra, um, sort of as the as a founder of a business that's working in sales, is that is that what Simon's there resonate? Is there anything um, else that you might want to add to that? Yeah, I think that definitely resonates. Um, I think for me, on the practical side of looking at the people at our company, I think well-being talks about their stress levels, um, whether they feel like they can manage their workload. I think especially in a really fast-paced startup, that can be hard. And a lot of startups ask a lot of their team members. Um, so that, that work um, life kind of fluctuation can be really tricky to handle for a lot of people. And I think that can play into your well-being as well. And tomorrow, I don't know if there's a slightly different perspective from sort of bigger enterprise businesses or your experience from, from enterprise. Um, is it different than, say, startup? I don't, I don't think the size really changes um, what, really what well-being is and how we experience it. Yeah. I, I think, unfortunately, size does allow it to be masked more easily because, like in anything, the more count you have of something, it's easier to lose track of a part. And um, if the overall business or a team or business unit is doing well at the top line, we kind of don't necessarily always look under the covers and, and look at some of the indicators that you would see, like turnover may be increasing, number of days absence may be up, um, performance for many people could be off, but the organization may be able to still sort of look like it's well, but the employees themselves aren't very well. So. Um, I guess the only difference would be that with scale comes perhaps an increased need to really try and attend to what's happening in the hearts and minds of the employees in the business. Um, and, and that really can leak into our customers. You know, when we don't feel well, we don't do well. And <clears throat> I think um, so often, you know, I, I always love the example of a chef. You know, they'll say that if you go to a, a restaurant that you love and that's regarded, but the food is bad, it's likely that the chef or someone cooking wasn't feeling well, right? It's There's something about what we put into what we deliver. And when we get bigger, we just have to look a little harder. Right. And Lauren, um, your perspective from sort of the coach uh, and some of the, as you put it in something else, deeper psychology, is there a, you have some, a slightly different perspective on, on this sort of defining and measuring well-being? Yeah, I mean, everything really resonates, right, from Simon's point around um, it being really personal to you, um, to um, also, you know, Alex's point of it to kind of being hidden and the fact that in organisation you have to look harder. I think that really resonates with me. Um, I think for me, well-being is the ability for human beings to adapt to change in a balanced way, right, to be able to cope with everyday demand, whether it's in their personal lives or in their professional lives. 
So for me, well-being is really, and in, in, you know, Simon referred to a little bit around, you know, adapting, changing. There's a delta difference between how we show up and how we really feel inside. Um, but for me, it's really kind of that, yeah, that kind of adaptation is as understanding um, where you're at, and it's constantly changing, whether it's at the mind, heart, body, or energy level. Um, and for me, kind of the key tool is around self-awareness. Where there's a correlation for me between well-being and how self-aware you are to be able to check in with yourself at your mind state your heart your body and your energy and all of us are going to be very different some of us are going to speak to you know feelings i'm going to be able to tell you how i feel other people don't have access to that really they're going to tell you you know energy wise if they've been to the gym and they feel good and they've got access to their body and you've got other people that are going to be more around that you know they they logically know how they feel their thought process so it's very personal and there's just lots of complexity and dimensions to that which again the more you are self-aware the more you're accountable the more you can you know express your needs for support but um you know it's all well and good you know when tomorrow said around organization we need to look for it absolutely there's a responsibility for organizations to create a safe space but at the same time why not empower employees for them to be self-aware of what they need so that they can ask for it because in and this is outside of our even professional lives in our personal lives. Most of us don't know how to do that, how to express our needs, how we feel, what do we need, what am I asking for? So there's a whole kind of yeah personal development thing there. I think that companies can help empower employees to create that co-responsibility between you know me as an employee, how I am, and what I'm responsible for, and what I need, and ask for it and voice it. And then the companies, you know, being able to set boundaries and saying, right, we've this is the environment we've checked in, but you know, you need to tell us what you need. So that's kind of my my point of view on that. That's fantastic. And I think that leads nicely into I guess there is this contrast between the sort of the personal needs and, and some of those things we just talked about, and then sort of from a business or a leadership perspective, how can I what are some of these indicators like I think like this week for example my family's gone back into an isolation period so also my children are at home again I'm trying to work um, my stress levels albeit temp relatively temporary have gone up like that's a stress <laughs> indicator for, for for me um and I guess I've I've been through this only a few months ago it feels a bit familiar doesn't feel great but familiar and therefore I can I, I've, I've learned to sort of deal with that a little bit but I guess what are I guess as leaders what what are some of these stress indicators that we're looking at I think tomorrow you, you touched upon like this sickness for example is, is something that might happen or you might have such a good relationship with a person that that you can see it happening but are there are there like a a sort of top list of stress indicators could you even get it to that point um, maybe Simon on, on to you on that one? Oh yeah I mean the point in sales is if you get to the point where everyone's down you noticed it uh, and that well-being is really down within the organization you're way too late because you've missed those indicators they're really obvious Salespeople are really quite quite obvious I mean if, if you're I mean you've only got to look outside at the indicators now you've got Christmas looming you can't go and see your, your parents at Christmas can't have your Christmas dues it's sideways rain uh, there's redundancy. I mean, there's plenty of there's strength, plenty of indicators before you even start personalising this. Within the sales industry, you'll find that if people are down and they're not they're not feeling very good, you'll get the fudging of a pipeline. You'll get misforecasting. Um, the attitude will be down. Uh, you get catastrophizing. Um, and because we rely on targets so much, if you've missed your targets because you're down and you're 
unenthused and you're demotivated, you then start to gamble. You've got more of that target to do. So you forget the smaller systems, forget the, the deals that you've been ticking over with and doing so well all year, but you end up going for those, those big sharks. I mean, the, the stress indicators really for me within, within teams are that people should look at for not replying to messages, people becoming nonchalant, um, demotivated, rumors, negativity, assumptions, withdrawal, Nowadays with Zoom and everything, it's people with their videos off, people are muting, people are, 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 aren't concentrated. And I just think there's, there are plenty of ways to look out for the signs, um, and maybe Lauren will come on to this, of the actual individual. I think within sales, which is quite a systematic approach to forecasting as well, people start to gamble a lot more. And in an industry where you rely on your confidence and you rely on the rallying of troops to come with you, um, you're not getting applause for what you're doing at the moment. Well, some people are, but we have to look out for making sure that everyone gets reward and all those human tendencies that we we like and rapture and the water cooler moments and all sorts. I mean, it's just a massive, massive subject at the moment. But for me, the stress indicator, the main ones are withdrawal. And I just think we should keep trying. Okay. And you talked about like Zoom. Uh, is there... And maybe sort of moving on to say Alexandra uh, on this one of you within say your business you, is this something that you thought about from a monitoring perspective or is it something that you find is um, people are tuned into um, some of these stress indicators already? Yeah I think um, to add to what Simon already said which I think is a fantastic list um, it can also go the other way where I've seen people are so stressed that instead of withdrawing, they do more. So the, the alternative is you see people who are working really long hours, getting up really early, working really late. And obviously when you're in an office, it's easier to see that because you physically see them in the office before you've arrived and you see yeah. them staying there when you're leaving. Um, but then, it's more difficult to see that remotely because, you know, unless they're sending you a message at 11.30 p.m., you have no idea that they were doing lots of work and sending all those emails. So it, the, the only thing that you can really do is see whether that, you know, perhaps they're active on something like Slack um, and you can just check in. But really it comes down to, I think, having that communication constantly with your team and checking in with them, asking them how their workload is, asking them how they're feeling about their targets. And as their manager, you hopefully will be able to see how they're doing against their target, whether you've got micro targets and KPIs around how many emails they've sent, et cetera. Or even if it, you don't have those and you talk to them about it, you can start to get a sense for how stressed or overwhelmed or overworked they're feeling. I guess we, we'll, we'll come on to this a little bit later, but I guess there's also in that we're assuming that the leader is kind of tuned into some of that stuff as well. Um, and I suspect there's probably sales teams out there that it's a, come on, work, work harder or, or it's a, um, it, it's a performance piece as opposed to so anyway we, we will come on to that because I think there's there's an interesting about um, um, how we think about ourselves first as leaders and then and then and how that translates into the team 
Can I add to that? Um, yeah. Do you mind? Because I just oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if we'd been sat on a row, I would have jumped in, but it's a bit awkward with virtual. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know Simon's got a great point around the withdrawal and you know all these other KPIs. But in terms of human behaviour, some of us will withdraw based on how we perceive the world and how like that's our main lens. We have different lenses. We all have them, but some of us will have like a main one, and then when we get stressed, we kind of get stuck on it, and it's harder to like adapt. And so withdrawal is one of them. But like Alex said, um, if you have um, a, um, if you see the world from mainly be, I don't know, more of a, um, a logical way, you might be wanting, looking for recognition for work. So you, your reaction to stress is actually going to be working more, exactly what Alex said, right? Some people are actually going to take more risks. So some, some people often, there's a, there's a dynamic of personalities that, that's all about risk. And when I'm stressed, I'm going to take more risks because it's driven to a psychological need of excitement. Um, so basically, yeah, there's these six, six different psychological needs behind that we need to be met. And if they're not met, there's going to be another kind of negative way of seeking that need. And it's different for everyone. And that's why I just think as a leader, it's very hard for you to take the responsibility of knowing how to like look out for or support people because, you know, you're, you know, people haven't gone through all this training around the psychology of human beings, uh, you know, uh, the leaders haven't been trained for that. So it's kind of, again, bringing it back to self-awareness, because I think the more a leader can understand how they deal with stress, what their psychological needs are, what their motivates them, how they respond to that, then they will be easier for them to recognize it in their team. But then it just goes back to also just helping the team create a safe space for them to just voice how they really are right to check in because they're the best people to tell you and even then they might not even know like you said the person is waiting like working really late or really early they might not even think they're stressed i think they're doing the right thing they're helping the company because they're dedicated and committed sometimes it's overwhelming it. sometimes that's why a horse you know horses have blinkers because they have to become so focused and that's how some people work i must do this i must do this i must do that i've got to do that i've got to do that it's like that snow globe we talk about being continuously shaken some point that snow globe you know the ones that used to find it in nanotech that you got to put that down you've got to let the, you've got to let the snow settle you genuinely have but if you can't do it when you're not in control of yourself when you're on that downward spiral you need someone to come along with various techniques which i'm sure you'll come on to laura and just say look do you need to do that how can we manage this is it essential you get that done can we just talk about this do you want to go out for a coffee let's just just something just to nudge them out of what they're doing at the moment because when you're working alone Bear in mind, isolation is more, more um, detrimental to our well-being than smoking is at some point. Um, and, and everyone is working remote. You know, you need to up that contact in an authentic way, another topic. But yeah, if you just need something to bump them off the course of, I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. So can I, can I kind of take on that? Because you were going to start to ask the question, I think, or just talk about leaders and, and what, what is this like for leaders? I mean, I... You know, I, um, I'm really passionate about the responsibility that leaders have. I think that we shirk it a lot, not because we don't want to have it. I think that we forget some of the responsibilities that we have. I mean, if you've managed people, your number one job is to hire the best people and get the best out of them and make sure that they have what they need to be successful. And, and that is in everything, right? It's the technology tools, it's the training, it's the comfort of the workspace, it's the support and the guidance. And one of the reasons that a lot of these things don't get noticed. Some of it is that we're not psychologically trained or maybe some of us aren't as emotionally aware as others. But I think a lot of it's just because we forget to spend time with our people when we're actually spending time with them. We'll talk to them about their pipeline. We'll check in on their performance, usually after the fact. 
not in the process. But I think when we can engage regularly with the individuals that we have the fortune responsibility to care for, mm-hmm. to nurture and to drive to success, these things happen less often because we get to know them as human beings. We're able to observe what their natural state is like and how they generally work and you know where their strengths are, where their challenges. We know if they have kids at home. I think we should assume everybody's got well-being issues. Everybody's got stuff. Like life is a really busy, messy thing. And everybody's always going through it. And, you know, we can either take a more old school approach, which is if there's a problem, they'll let me know. And if I see something really strange, I'll ask. But otherwise, you know, if I don't hear anything, I'm going to assume it's all right. And I think we actually probably need to assume the, the opposite, that there's always going to be something going on. And the way that we're going to help our people best, um, both personally and professionally, is to, to try and stay a bit more t- in tune. You know, yeah. people can be private. They don't have to tell us their life story. But at least if they know that this is a safe place, that we're all human beings, we come to work for the exact same reason, to provide for our families or for ourselves, a lifestyle, you know, our needs that we have. And and that gets difficult and that we're all in this together to get through it together. And if we can just do that, I, I think it just gets a little easier. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. It just, I, like we make it so hard. It's like, I, just be a person. Just, just be human. Human. Just human. I agree. I, I had a, oh, sorry, Laura. I just had a great piece of advice years ago about that separation of sort of a pipeline meeting and just a catch up with, with the team. And that helped massively because it was, there was this opportunity just to talk that wasn't about a KPI or a number, or it wasn't actually necessarily about work. It was, it was, um, and that's helped hugely. Um, and that helped usually just from a leadership perspective, just to kind of bond a bit better as well with the team as well. And so um, if, if people aren't doing that, I'd definitely recommend. And it's great to ask your leader that. I mean, I always make sure whoever I'm working for, they never expect me like, how are you doing? And like, oh yeah, I go, no, like ask your family, what's going on? You all right? You good? You look kind of tired today. Are you feeling okay? It's been a rough week, huh? Like, because leaders also, people don't ask them. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they have to, you know, we're supposed to be authentic, which is great, but you also have to be a leader, which means you're kind of holding your stuff together. And I think it's wonderful to also do the reverse. You know, how do you ask up and ask across and ask around? It's not just the people that work for me or, or, or the person that works next to me. It's everybody because there's nothing that we do at work that is a solo sport. Nothing. We rely on each other to, to move the machine forward. So I think we also just have to broaden our net of care. Yeah, I think that, and that leads on this sort of how, how do you look after yourself? Um, I was talking to, to Lauren earlier and, and I was saying, if I think about it, there was a, about three years ago, I had a business coach and actually I didn't realize just how much it gave to me um, just being able to talk to someone that was outside of the business uh, that was just the, I could just talk about things that were important to me or they could kind of uh, come uh, come to me and say, I think this might be important to you. And that actually helped me mentally be able to kind of work through a few things. And I found that that was quite interesting um, sort of to learn that about myself because before I'd just been in the, in the wheel and just going and <laughs> I'm now the leader. Um, so it'd be quite interesting. Like coaching is obviously something that, that leaders can do to help themselves. Is there anything, um, Alexandra, have you got any, any sort of 
things you'd share about how, how you look after yourself or you'd recommend or you suggest to other people? Yeah, I think um, it might sound really simple. Um, and I know we've probably talked about it a lot. Everyone has talked about how to take care of yourself in lockdown and um, things like that. But I think making sure that you can turn work off is really helpful for me. Um, whether it be that you can close your laptop and go for a walk or watch Netflix or whatever it is and do not get notifications on your phone. Um, I think that's a really simple day-to-day -day thing that we can do, but I think, um, and talking about the fact that you do that can help your team as well. Um, it sort of gives them that empowerment to, to do that for themselves. I think another simple thing that we have as a tool are our holidays um, at work. Taking annual leave is something that I've been working with my team on doing, um, which sounds weird uh, almost because I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's COVID that's made us think that we shouldn't be taking any holiday because you can't go away or um, there's, you know, we're so busy as a startup and it's really hard to find time to not work. Um, so taking holidays is something that both us as leaders and our teams, and we can help our teams to do more of, mm. um, is a preventative measure as well as a solution when the problem has already occurred i'd say so those are two really simple things um nothing mind-blowing or groundbreaking but i think it's so that everyone has to hand so important yeah it's the thing with leaders isn't it that you know lead, great leaders will take you through the bad times as well as the good times i actually see this as a massive opportunity to build your legacy as a leader because people will remember doing nothing now is not an option. If you're doing nothing now thinking, well, no one's really saying anything. I think I've got away with it. And I did have that well-being company said I could do that for three grand. Well, the pocket is that, I'm not doing that. You know, to not do anything is fine. You'll get away with it for a bit. You come January, January blues, you come to the end of this where people look back and go, well, what was their legacy as a leader? What did they do for me when, when I needed them? Uh, and then you start looking into the real costs of people leaving, people, um, not turning up to work. This is just a massive time to be normal as a person. I mean, look at us, we're all in each other's living rooms now. We wouldn't have had this opportunity before. And I think it's just a time to really be human, like, like um, Tamara said, be human as a leader, but you know, build your legacy. Look at it as an opportunity now to, to think, what do I need to do? All those self-help books, all those leadership books, you know, where are they now when, when you've got people disconnected, isolated? You know, I've been there when you're working from home and you retract yourself and you've only got yourself as a sounding board it's a really lonely place to be and you you know you're you're built as a human what, what you were saying before you know as a, as a baby you cry not necessarily because you're hungry you cry for attention you want to be covered you know yeah humans have that as they as they grow older you do want that water cooler moment you do want that rapture of applause you do just want a bit of engagement you think of the way to work now you, you go to the coffee shop you see someone you smile at someone you bump into people you don't have any of that. So if you're if you're a leader that's not engaging now, I think you're missing a, a massive opportunity. And just do something, you know. And I think just to do nothing is um, to turn a blind eye to it is, is going to be a crime that will bite back at you, mm. certainly in January. Mm. 
Well, I'd quite like to add to that in terms of how, you know, we can look after ourselves in our teens. Um, I think for me, there's two points around this resilience is understanding where you sit on the resilience scale, especially in sales, right? We hear a lot about resilience. The more resilience you are, you know, the better you're going to be at sales. But the reality is based on how you're wired and your personality structure, some of us are going to be more mentally sensitive and others are going to be more resilient, right? If you think it's a spectrum, and the people that are going to be more mentally sensitive are going to be the people that have more easily access compassion, right? Care and holding a safe space and being okay, being vulnerable. While people that are going to be more resilient are potentially going to be more in the, let's get things done, even if it's hard, come on, let's do it. And we'll just find a way, right? You need both, you need both of these kind of people, right? In that spectrum in a team. Um, so, you know, I think this in sales is a danger of potentially thinking resilience is like a you know, like a formula we can give salespeople and they're just going to stop feeling and they're just going to get through it. And actually, I would, you know, I would kind of just invite people to consider around the fact that, well, it just depends on where you're on the scale. So it's how resilient people are going to work with people that may be more sensitive and how do you coexist together, right? How does a sort of person that's more resilient help the person that's maybe more sensitive and how is the person maybe more sensitive is the better person to hold space for, for people and get them to speak up? So there's different spaces for different, you know, leaders in terms of their styles. And, um, you know, we shouldn't all, you know, have to become like, you know, I just for me, there's a danger of interpreting resiliency as being the answer of just equals, you know, cutting yourself from your feelings. And actually, we need both. And it's just how do you adapt and how good are you at swapping for different moments in the day? For me, that's mental health, that's well-being, right? One minute you're going to be, you know, resilient and hard in a meeting. And the next minute you're in one-to-one, like holding space for someone that just wants to like have a moan. As a leader, if you can just adapt to that and mindfulness, I think help with that. So a lot of the stuff I work with clients with is, you know, we do back-to-back calls and with, with you know, this virtual world is going to be even worse. Is how can you set potentially 45 minute calls or five minutes before to leave your last meeting behind? Check in with yourself. How am I doing? What's the quality of my thoughts, my mind, my body? And just leave that behind to try and access a state of neutrality. So when you go into the new meeting, you're present to that person and you've let your baggage behind, right? As a leader, I think that's for me looking after yourself because if you're back to back, you're gonna project that onto your team and it's just not gonna help anyone. So that's, I guess, where I'm coming from it in terms of look after yourself first, checking yourself first, then you're gonna be a better service to your team. And I think, yeah, mindfulness and just simple pauses you know, I've got you know, a client that just goes for walks, right, for 10 minutes um, in between when he can. And that just helps. He's his way of doing mindfulness. I've got other clients that are happy to plug in a me- meditation app for 10 minutes, but that won't work for someone else. So it's just finding what works for you, really. heard of the Nappuccino. You heard of the Nappuccino? <laughs> no. But you've got, you got, you got, you got the Zoom eye, which is <clears throat> really in front of the computer all the time. Uh, and because everyone's work at home, you just need to get away from the computer. So you go and you get, get your bedroom ready, you lie down, you have a strong coffee, you set your alarm for 21 minutes. By the time you've woken up after 21 minutes from the dose, the coffee's kicking in and you're ready for round two. <laughs> it works for you. That's great. <laughs> That's quite the term. <laughs> so we're obviously sort of talking about um, some good like if we can put in some good practice but for a lot of leaders they'll be thinking about this as as potentially starting some difficult conversations uh, with their teams um i guess 
have we got any advice uh either how you've adapted it adopted it or or uh, i guess lauren in your case some some solid sort of science and psychology behind it but um how would as a leader you start that conversation start to kind of open up about um being a bit more human and and treating them as 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 just a, as, as another human maybe tamara have you got any thoughts around around that and and, and you might not see it as a difficult conversation, so feel free to. Uh... <laughs> I think there always are difficult conversations to be had. Um, I'll kind of go back to what I said before. I think one of the ways that you make them less difficult is when they're more regular, because then you've established a rapport and you know, you've established some trust and credibility and people think that you actually are concerned for them, you know, not just the, their success and their ability to perform in their job, but actually them as a human. So that that certainly can soften difficult conversations, but when they need to be had, um, I mean, in sales, they shouldn't really be a surprise, right? So that's the other thing. Are you, are you well in touch with one another so that this is a journey we're on together? And, um, but, but when it's tough, I, I think all you can do is be, you know, factual, um, sensitive, you know, try to listen well and choose your words carefully, you know, depersonalize the message. I think that that's really important. Sometimes we can get very personal when we send messages, particularly around performance. And, you know, I think we need to depersonalize it. It's, it's uh, not a failing of them as a human being. It's, it's the results that mm -hmm. we're sitting with and we have to, you know, we have to make some decisions around that result. And then I, I think it's, you know, letting them know that you're going to come alongside of them. I think it's, can you show authentically that you are invested and committed to helping them through this. And, you know, if that's what they want, sometimes they don't want that. Also, it's sort of listen for that because maybe they want out. And sometimes we're like, no, we're gonna get you there. We're, we're you know, kind of to the point that Lauren was making, like, you just got that resilient boss. We're just gonna get you over the hill. We're gonna tweak. And maybe they don't want, maybe they've decided this is this is not their happy place. And so, you know, to, to listen, um, I mean, those would be some of the things that, that I would suggest, but I, I imagine Lauren's going to have some words of wisdom on that. And, you know, that'll probably help all of us just be more in tune when we have to do it. Well, I mean, I couldn't agree more around the, um, the kind of choosing your words carefully, right? There's so much in the words, the language that we use based on how we perceive the world that will either motivate someone and inspire someone and comfort someone, or we could use different words and actually put them more in distress. Mm. And, and being able to understand like um, that, I think as a leader is major, a major one. Um, and I think, you know, one of the could you give me an example of a difficult conversation? And I can give you a structure. There's a structure that's amazing of how to approach something that might be emotional, but take away the emotion out of it. It's a full step thing. And if I could give something actionable, that's probably my gift today. Um, but do, do you have, what would you say would, you know, an example of like the hardest conversations you might've had in the last six months? Making somebody redundant, firing them. I mean, that's probably the tough one, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the one that nobody wants to do, right? I mean, nobody. It's terrible. It really the first affects yeah. the person. And follow and, you yeah. know, we don't know if we can keep you and that kind of stuff. So, so I think, you know, within that, you're going to have your own emotion in that, right? You're going to have your own emotion in that at the same time, you have to show up 
factual with things. Um, but I think anytime we're trying to have a difficult conversation, um, as, um, this um, methodology around nonviolent communication, which is around delivering the facts, she just explained the facts, the business is in a situation where this is happening, right? You give the facts and the reason why it is what happening. Then feeling, right? If you, and that's the human connection as a leader with the facts and getting that balance right is how do you feel about this? I feel terrible about having to let some of my team go. And this is a potentially the hardest thing I've ever had to do, right? And you just see whatever you feel, right? Whether you feel sadness or regret or anger, whatever it is you're feeling, you just authentically say what you feel because there's no right or wrong feelings. And then what do you need, right? So what I need is to have this conversation with you, this difficult conversation with you around the fact that we're not gonna be able to you know, keep you in this organization, in this situation. And then there's always gonna be an ask. So, you know, I'm asking like, you know, what, I mean, I'm, this is not by the way, how you let someone go, just to be quite clear. That's just the example you gave me. <laughs> but you know, the, the, how do you take the emotion out of it and make someone feel comfortable? You can ask them, um, you know, so, you know, what, what, what is it that um, you, you would like to know around this situation to make you feel more comfortable? What do you need from me? What can I do to support you? So it's facts, feelings, needs, what you need to do, and then ask someone. It's kind of a way of, you know, if something's charged up, even if it's not you, you think it might cause an emotional reaction on the other side, it's kind of a way of neutralizing it. Does that make sense? I think the point there about keeping it personal or keeping it authentic, because, you know, I've been on the other end of those conversations and they're, they, they usually are quite factual, but sometimes they can be very non-emotional non from the standpoint of the person delivering the message needs to be very careful about what they say as well, right? There are legal, literally legal implications. So it does get difficult to express the feeling part that you may have about how hard that is. So I think that was just a really good reminder to say, you know, I don't feel great about having to do this. This is really hard. Because that can make um, such a difference to someone to hear that, right? Yeah. The human aspect of, because that's no one, no feelings are right or wrong. Legally, no one will be able to take you yeah. to court because you feel something. And yeah. that's really the most honest and true thing that we have. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, we often forget that our feelings are really powerful. And this is for me, finding power and your vulnerability to share how you feel. Share how I feel, I just want to share that. <laughs> yeah. I miss now is because I think you've got to go with like, well, as they say, open mind, open heart. Um, and the, the problem with body language is that seven, only 7%, isn't it? That, that is actually the words. So people can say, I'm fine. And you go, okay, that's fine, good, they're fine. And then, but you're not picking up on on all that body language um, from the nonverbal indicators as well. And you've got to be neutral. You've got to go to that table neutral. You've got to try and. It's really hard as a person to disengage everything that's going on in your life because you can't judge what somebody else is is bringing to the table as well. So, just be yeah, I, I I think ultimately though, all this stuff is so much easier when the tone is kind of set at the top. You know, I think when you have a culture in your business or the leadership team that tries to be very authentic and quite human, which can be really hard, right? I mean, people have been wired over decades to be a certain way and, and they kind of arrive in these roles. And I think that they come with this perception about what a person who has that title in this kind of a company, what, what they're like. Um, but the more authentic and real and relatable and touchable, I think those 
people are, the easier all of the conversations get. I think Microsoft does a really great job at you know fostering a growth mindset, which means failure is okay. Like it's part of the process, and we're gonna we're gonna accept that as learning, and we're gonna create space for people to feel comfortable taking some risks without a lot of consequences that would be negative or detrimental. And so, how do we foster that environment? Because when the overall environment feels more like that naturally conversations will be a little more comfortable. They'll feel more natural and it'll feel safer because we'll feel like we are in it together. And, and I think that that's just a shift for a lot of organizations to make and as well as humans. I mean, we all have to learn to do that. I think it's forced upon us. Within leaders tomorrow, someone has to go first. Someone's got to take one for the team. The amount of conversations that can gloss along the top, there's a veneer of, um, Oh, how are you doing? Oh, that's a good question. That you know, and um, but actually, someone needs to take one for the team and go first, and that opens up the conversation. And if it is top down, it's fine. You know, there's a lot of pressure on leaders at the moment, thinking, well, they've got to juggle all theirs. They might have big salaries at stake themselves, uh, and they might have family in their own. And there's, you know, the thing about we're all in the same storm, but in different boats. So it doesn't matter how big your boat is that you're in. You know, the the Titanic sank. So. It doesn't matter whether you're in a, in a small boat, your environment, um, or whether you're high up the ladder. Um, we are all, at our core, humans. And I think there's one thing that's come out of this whole thing is that we do just look at each other in a very, very different way now. Um, and I think that's the one thing we've all got in common. It doesn't need a training manual to be humane and to be normal, just be normal now. And I think that's what it's crying out. Yeah, absolutely. Just to add to that, Simon, I think that's what this we may have forgotten is that um, we all have access to our feelings all the time, but in corporate environment, when you go to the office and you're dressed a certain way, you might be disconnected to that sometimes. And I just think the fact that we're working from home and at home and we have access to that is just tapping into it more. And the, but the hard thing is when you're a leader with a responsibility or even just in, you know, just in sales in general is we sometimes like judge our own feelings. So it's hard to express them because we feel like when I'm expressing my feeling, I shouldn't be doing that because we have that voice in our head saying, you know, judging ourselves. So if we could be free to just express our feelings and for them to be able to be heard without being judged, which is quite difficult because we live in a highly judgmental world. This is a difficult thing, right? It's being able to express your feelings yeah. is hard because it's not always well, it is hard, especially as leaders, because I've had this, this chat with Tamara before that you go through life, you know, you spend 20, 25 years building up a corporate image yeah. and you've got this massive, you know, you've got this strong game face on. I ain't giving that up. You know, I've got five, you know, I've got this reputation. I'm not giving that up. That actually, that actually sticks out more than someone who's not authentic. You know, you see lovely emails from leaders at the moment with, with footers on the email that say, look, I don't expect you to get back to me immediately different rules are applying, call me tomorrow, get back in later tonight, whenever you want to. That's being normal. Not being normal is the equivalent of us sitting here in a shirt and tie and, you know, not, you know, full on work gear when we're all sitting in our living room. It's just unconnected with reality. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just yeah. a little softer. Ed. I think it's also, I mean, from a leadership standpoint, I think this has been particularly interesting for women because um, women tend to be slightly, you know, more connected to their emotions, and we use more emotional words when we speak. But to rise to leadership positions, a lot of women have masculated themselves mm -hmm. to fit in. You know, whether it's the clothes they wear, you can tell I've not done such a good job. But I mean, <clears throat> you know, changing your language, adapting to sports. I mean, using the same kind of analogies. The, there's a lot of ways in which 
that's happened. And so um, for, for women, they actually have to fight sometimes against that natural sense. And they definitely can feel that if they share or engage in too much emotional conversation, that then they're just being too much of a girl at work. Um, and I think that that has been quite difficult for some. But, you know, I had an experience where we, um, I had my sales kickoff and there were, you know, 400 employees in the audience and we had a Q&A with the executive team at the end. We had the most amazing speaker, Deborah Searle, who had crossed the Atlantic and, and ended up on her own in this tiny little boat. And she talked about her ocean that she literally crossed and all the things that she went through. So during the Q&A, our employees asked, I'd love to hear from one of the leaders, you know, what's an ocean you crossed this year? And it was one of those moments where, you know, you stand up before you know you stood up and <clears throat> I had had to cross this huge ocean that actually we're, we're still at the tail end of, but with my son's health, he'd been so unwell and it was so hard, you know, and part of that time I was out of work, which was great. And then I had to go back to work, which was great, but hard. And it was just, it was such a big job to try and manage how I felt about all those things and come to work. And the, I tell you that not because it was made me great. What happened afterwards was amazing. All the employees that came up to me and talked about the, the crap that they were having to deal with, you know, that they hadn't talked about at work and they didn't want anyone to think they weren't committed to their job or, you know, whatever it was and how the fact that one of the people that had to sit in the chairs said that they too had crap. It changed everything. And it's not, I wouldn't say that I'm a reserved person in that way, but it certainly wasn't the thing I would have thought that I would have shared on a stage in front of all those employees that day. But I learned so much from having done it that I should I, I should be sharing more often. I should be letting people see those sides of me more often, make space for that conversation because we're so busy. It's not that I necessarily don't want to, but we just don't take time. And I, you know, so for me, that was a huge huge reminder of how critical it is and when you do that then they can talk to each other and it's safe for them so, sorry that was slightly long no, amazing that's an amazing share tomorrow that was, yeah. that's so nice to hear and that's kind of sort of speaks into that authenticity piece that, you, that that's come through um, over the last 45 minutes now i'm getting to um we're sort of drawing towards the end um and i think that uh, we could obviously talk about this for quite some time I guess some of the things that I'm going to ask you each for, for maybe a, a sort of a parting um, a piece to the leaders out there, but, but some of the things that have sort of come up, um, authenticity um, from a authenticity to yourself, to your teams, to the business uh, seems to be really important. Simon, you, you mentioned it early on about um, sort of some of the impacts of this, this can start to really play out in, um, performance in the way that uh, people start making those uh, bets and the sort of gambles and, uh, and so on. So um, if leaders haven't done so already, uh, there is a clear impact on, on their business. Um, Lauren, you gave us some really interesting things, like particularly that sort of four-step process of, of maybe how to kind of have some of those difficult conversations. But um, maybe starting with you, Alexandra, is there um, around this sort of um, maybe advice to a leader that's that sort of what would be your sort of your, your final um sort of comments on that um i think something that we haven't touched on yet which i'd love to bring up is okay great when um sort of the the reverse of this difficult conversation that we just talked about where we are approaching somebody to have a difficult conversation is the moment where your team member comes to you and says 
I need help or I'm really stressed, I'm working too much, you need to help me or like I just don't know what to do. And I think um, the more we, well, A, the more we empower our team members to feel like they can approach us, the better, of course. But then I think my advice for a leader is if that happens to you, not to take it personally, because I think it can feel really easy to take that as, it's not an attack, but, but you feel responsible because they're your team member or it's your company. And you obviously don't want people to feel overworked or stressed or bad. So it can be an easy, quick reaction in yourself to go, well, that's my fault. And now I feel terrible. And this is a bad thing about me or something that I've caused or allowed to happen. Mm. Um, so I think don't take it personally would be my advice and work with them. You want the best for them. So ask them questions about why do they think this is happening? What's, what's the main cause or are there multiple factors involved? Um, and then work together with them on what you can do to make it better and maybe the best thing you can do is, is a medium to long-term solution, in which case you can talk about that, but make sure to then also talk about what do we do about tomorrow? What do we do about next week? Um, and think about, is there small, is there a short-term simple thing that we could do? Is it auditing all the work that you're doing and thinking about what's critical and what could we leave for now? Um, and then start doing that again when we've got that medium to long-term solution in place for example. Um, so that would be my advice. Don't take it personally and ask them questions. Brilliant, thank you. Uh, Tamara? Um, I guess I would say there are always lots of ways to acknowledge and recognize people. And in sales, we tend to do that off of our performance numbers, which means the top 20% usually get the most attention. And I, I think that there is a great opportunity for us to make sure that you're talking about movement in the middle, progress in the right direction. That's something great to recognize and helps people who aren't over the finish line feel like at least they're going the way they need to. And, and obviously there'll be different rewards for different things, but I think it's important that we acknowledge progress um, as well as acknowledging the right behaviors and attitudes in our team and among the people that we work that creates the environment that people get to operate in. And it shows a measure of respect <clears throat> for everyone's contributions and people's contributions are different. And um, again, in sales, I think we focus on the numbers and, and of course we have to, I mean, that, at the end of the day is our job, right? We have to deliver the plan, uh, keep the shareholders and the investors happy. But the way that we do that is with people. And so let, let's broaden how we acknowledge contributions towards those successes uh, would be something that I would encourage us all to do. Because I think at the end of the day, it's, it's the how we do what we do and why we do it that determines what we ultimately deliver. Fantastic. Um, Simon? Uh, my advice would, um, you know, you're the leader, build a legacy, um, do something that you're gonna be remembered for in these times. We'll soon be out of it. Do something that you're gonna be remembered and it's unacceptable not to do anything and think that, that you don't need to do anything because we're all going through it. So you do need to do something whatever it is. Um, my advice would be take one for the team. You know, you've got one chance now to stand up and take one for the team. It's all around the language um, that people use. If you stand up and say, you don't have to stand up and say, look, I'm mental, I've got mental health, I've got this. You don't. It, it's in the wording. If you say to someone, look, 
you're at the top of your game, you've been away, you know, you've been working all these years, you've been under these pressures. There must have been a time when you back was against the wall and that you've had to dig deep being resilient. Tell us about it, inspire people. And that way you come forward, you tell exactly the same story about all the lows, but you don't have to use that antiquated language that we've got. When I look around at some people who are doing it well, I know it's one of the things we were going to look at. I look at Debbie Bullock at Aviva, for example, and we look at the, the, the initiatives that they've come out with, with World Menopause Day last Sunday. They released an app for their staff. I look at Sadie Hobson at We Work Well and some of the stuff that she's coming out with. You know, I've never known so many qualifications coming out of someone delivered through such a you know, normal person who can actually deliver that. Sarah Walker at BT, Emma Chapwin at Fujitsu, Adam Brooke at the ISM for appointing the, um, for appointing the, you know, the mental health and well-being. Um, you know, these are people that are doing something. I just think, right, wrong, look around, do something, get the experts in because there will be underlying things going through the organization. Um, so just get someone in to look at it. Yeah, I'd add, I, um, we had minds come into my last business and run some stuff. That was, that was um, really, really um, eye-opening for all of the management team at the last business and sort of raise some questions. And my mind is also, would be on my list in there for, so for, for the UK that is, for our UK listeners. Um, and, and Lauren, to finish off. Yeah, I think for me, um, kind of a practical advice, I guess, or recommendation I'd give for, especially for salespeople, is um, I've been coaching quite a few in uh, the last six months where actually they're going to get them to ask what they need, right? Because um, you can try and anticipate that they might need recognition because of the numbers and they, you know, the percentage of number, but actually some just want to thank you. Thank you for working late. They, that will touch, that will refuel them. That will re-energize them and re-motivate them. And you don't need to be an expert for this, right? You just, if you just ask them, listen, I'm here. I want to be able to help, you know, support you. Um, you know, you're doing great, but what is it that makes you feel good, right? I'll give you an example. So someone, um, she was very competitive and this might relate a lot of people in sales. So she would get motivated by seeing the board in Salesforce or when they had it in the office, right? Of like being top. That's what got her like going every day. And she really struggled motivating herself because you know, she was procrastinating, having issues because she's like, I can't you know, measure my performance against someone else. So I have no barometer. That's how I'm wired. That's, that's what gets me going, right? So she was, you know, we kind of worked on that and then she just had, you know, voiced her manager that probably didn't think about it. The fact that that wasn't accessible was demotivating her. He would not have no idea. <laughs> Um, so the fact that she you know, did that self-reflection, she asked, actually, can you set that up? Because that helps me. He was like, oh, sure, absolutely. That's what I mean by empowering people to tell, get you to get them to tell you what they need. And all you need to do that is care and create that time and space. Um, and, um, and then the last bit would be around replacing, you know, what Simon said around physical connection, right? We were all in our living rooms, hence the lovely background. This is not my office. As you can see, it would be a bit weird to have that set up at home. Um, but replacing the uh, physical connection, which is, you know, leaders taking time to walk around the office and say hi and having a break at lunch with everyone uh, to connect. Well, you can actually now replace that with an emotional connection. Right. So this is why actually investing and maybe making a bit more time to get in touch and how you how you're feeling, what's going on, just sharing that can replace the connection with someone virtually because it's coming from here um, rather than physical. So it's not better or worse. It's just a different way of 
know, connecting. You know, I have people ask me, how do you create a sense of belonging in virtual teams? So I think that for me, that's one of the levers. If you as a leader could be a bit more comfortable with sharing how you feel, then you'll naturally, you know, transpire in your team and they'll maybe feel a bit more comfortable sharing with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you. That's a great way to kind of um, leave today's webinar. I want to get, thank all my uh, guests that um, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. There's some really thought-provoking things in there and, and some things for our audience to take away. Um, so, yeah, again, thank you. And um, for everyone else out there, um, uh, it's been great having you and been watching your comments come in and uh, feel free to join us again next week uh, when we uh, broadcast again. But for now, uh, enjoy the rest of your week and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.